should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. I'm getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. You can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club Podcast, where we read them so you don't have to, because we've decided to just roll with this nightmare blunt rotation. <laughs> my name is Kevin, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Benedict, who does puff, but refuses to pass. Benedict, what's your favorite Indiana Jones movie? I would just like to say that actually the opposite is true, and I he- do pass, but <laughs> refuse to puff. <laughs> You went to the place where Bill Clinton inhaled, did or George inhale. Bush did not, whoever claimed, didn't inhale. No, yeah, Clinton claimed yeah. not to have inhaled. Uh-huh. He 100% inhaled. Absolutely fucking inhaled. He absolutely sure. fucking inhaled. Um, and then he was a pedophile after that. Uh, well, moving on. <laughs> allegedly, allegedly. He was certainly on a list. <laughs> allegedly. I will say that to protect ourselves. Uh, allegedly. Uh, Indiana Jones, which what one's your favorite? What was the question? Uh, the Crystal Skull. No, oh, we will end this show right now. <laughs> we will never be friends uh, again. No, I think, uh, so I, the first one is obviously good. I have a problem with the first one in the sense that like, what's different if he doesn't just like, if he just lets them take the Ark of the Covenant to Berlin, then Hitler dies. So like. Oh shit, Indiana Jones failed to kill Hitler. We just yeah. realized. <laughs> <laughs> Because they would have opened it in Berlin in front of the Führer f- for sure. Well, and, no, and but wasn't the whole the, the, they were opening it there in wherever they were. I don't know if the country is ever specified. Egypt, probably. But, like, the bad guys opened it there in the desert. Like, it wasn't Indy who opened it. It was the bad guys. Yeah. So, like, at best, nothing changes if Indy, okay. Indy's You are involved. still correct. You are yeah, still like... technically correct. <laughs> A large warehouse has one fewer box in it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, probably the third one, just because... Uh, I'm with you. That's also mine. Yeah. The Last Crusade. I haven't, to be, also, I haven't seen the fifth one. Uh, there's no reason to. Uh, I heard it was fine. You know, okay, I will say, the, the one that is really shit that no one needs to bother see is the fourth one. Because just, like, yeah, yeah. there was the something, Skull. like... And, and I'm not saying, like, all movies have to meet my taste or anything, but making it Aliens... Like, I remember sitting there Weird. watching it and just going, fuck off. Fuck off. This yep. is Indiana Jones. It's not Aliens. It's Indiana Jones. Get yourself straight. But there yeah, is something. And Indiana Jones is about mysterious forces we can't explain, mm-hmm. not aliens. But there is something really fun about the last. I mean, Temple Doom, also great, obviously. Kali Ma, forget all the casual racism in that one. Uh, yeah, that's the problem with that one, yeah, I think. Yeah, a, a lot of casual in racism. In particular, in there. Is the, that, that, I think that one has aged the poorest. But he pulled out the gun and shot the guy with the sword, and it was so cool. Isn't that in the first one? Isn't it in the first one? I Maybe yeah, I'm I misremembering so. where they're in. Yeah. But Last Crusade, there is something really fun about Sean Connery interacting with Harrison Ford. There's just a great dynamic for them in that movie. It's really yeah, he, he has a real I'm too old for this shit vibe, which is <laughs> funny because I think I'm like the same age. <laughs> I honestly don't know. Well, Connery's dead. But well, yeah. uh, I don't know. I think Harrison Ford has to be younger than Connery, right? Yeah, because he, he didn't is. start acting till the 70s in Star Wars. Uh, yeah, or, but he, uh, I think he was quite old that. when he started. Yeah, he was like a carpenter in the studio, 
And I don't remember. I don't so, think Sean Connery is 15 years older than Harrison. There Ford, we go. Which is I not that much older. It's, it's, it's not, not uh, that much older. Not old enough to be a dad in most countries. Well, you've never met a Scottish person. <laughs> <laughs> Great, Benedict. We just lost all our Scottish listeners. Bye, lads. How dare you? <laughs> How dare you? Uh, moving on, Benedict. Uh, yep. You probably know what it I is do. that we do here on this program. Uh, some folks, folks who like the fourth Indiana Jones movie. Cowards. Might not know what it is that we do here. And then I would say... This is the show where we go a deep, a deep, deep, deep to plumb the depths of right-wing thought by reviewing a chapter from work of conservative literature and in between, taking a look at other examples of the right, doing their best to make America hate again. Start us off, Benedict. Do you have a hot take for us this week? Yeah, uh, toasters, life-changing. I, did you not have a toaster? No. Until the new apartment? <laughs> Until the new apartment, yeah. Well, okay, so, then I would have bought you a toaster I know, rather I know. than what I did no, no, as a it wasn't, it, was, <laughs> it wasn't through lack of means <laughs> to acquire I'm a toaster. I'm aware. <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was uh, because, well, so we got rid of our toaster in the first apartment because we had a bug problem. And yeah, the crumbs. The, the crumbs were a problem. Um, and then the second apartment there just like wasn't enough counter space for everything and a toaster. So I, I bravely volunteered <laughs> to sacrifice a toaster at the expense of a, of a food processor. Um, oh, and, I will say food processor much better for counter space. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. like for my, like the impact it has on my life on a daily basis, having a toaster, cause I don't really like breakfast. Yeah. And just being able to have, like, toast is the only thing that I'm like, yeah, I'll eat toast with some, like, delicious butter. Anyway, I've had a toaster for, like, three weeks, and it has changed my life. <laughs> like, fully changed my life. I'm By a simple you man. you mean increased your cholesterol dramatically? Uh, it has certainly increased my carb intake. <laughs> but actually, I'm not even sure that's true, because I, like, How much what, butter? How much butter are you putting on that toast? Ah, uh, you know, a, re- a reasonable amount, if you mm-hmm. asked a French person. <laughs> <laughs> There's your problem. Yeah, and well, no, we've but... lost the French listeners. <laughs> my my whole thing is trying to alienate alienating. every <laughs> <laughs> our entire audience. Yeah, um, but no, because what would happen is I would just, like I wouldn't eat breakfast then, and then I would just snack on like chips or whatever until. So I think actually my cholesterol may have gone down despite the butter. Mm, I have a doctor's hoping. appointment in two weeks, and I will let you know. Here's hoping. <laughs> My stat. I'm already on statins, so who cares yeah, if I have to up the dose a little? You got like three um, years left to live. Come on. Yeah, look, well, you may as well enjoy it. Um, what about you? What's your hot take? My hot take, Benedict. Uh, little pieces of furniture make a surprisingly large difference mm. in making a place feel homey. You know what I mean? Yeah, but you have the most cavernous fucking apartment. It is, like, and it, I st- I can't fill this fucking place. It up. looks it's like so it cute. looks like a level in an abandoned warehouse in a video <laughs> game that you have to like navigate your way through while zombies jump out at you. If it was empty, You're not wrong. obviously it makes it, you you've made it look lovely. But if it was, uh... <laughs> you're not wrong. It is strangely weird. But I got like this little uh, thing to put at the end of my bed the other day because my bed now um, is it a futon? It is. I don't know. I don't know if it qualifies. Uh, cause I don't know like what they meant by futon in the original French. I think futon comes from presumably. Yeah. Uh, but so like my bed you just is... alienated the French, maybe the French <laughs> are back now. I, I like my bed is too high off the ground to like sit on and put your shoes on. You know what I mean? Your feet dangle. Mm. So I got like this little couch thingy. It's not quite a couch, but it's at the end of the bed and it's just like the same width as the bed is width-wise. Mm-hmm. And it's it's cushiony. You sit on it, put your shoes on, you walk out the house. Like an ottoman, maybe? 
maybe that's the right word for okay. it. Maybe it's an ottoman, but it's like a, a long, slender ottoman that is okay. looks like a mini couch. Uh, but like it, it, a chaise. She has started naming items and furniture. Guess along at home if you want to see. <laughs> it makes my home feel so much more homey. That's the entire mm. point I was trying to get across, okay. and uh, got it on sale from. Uh, Bob's Discount Furniture, which I'm sure I will find out used child labor to make it, so... Probably. Yeah. Anyways, better like moving along this week. What is on your bookshelf? Uh, on my bookshelf this week is Extremely Online by Taylor Lorenz. It's about the story of the internet, influencers, stuff like that. It's, uh, it's actually very interesting. Uh, I just started it, so, uh, no spoilers. Don't okay. tell me if YouTube becomes a big thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's it. What about you? Uh, for me, Benedict, it is the two Ayn Rand biographies no. that nope. I just I opened to, up in I, front I, of I, you as we started okay. uh, sitting down to record today. Uh, okay, they're biographies, at least. I they're biographies. Well, okay, they're biographies. There are also four books written by Ayn Rand sitting behind me right now. That's what. Uh, because, you know, I've discussed that this year I'm planning to do like a long, let's call it a module. A module sounds like the right way to describe it. Uh, on uh, libertarianism, objectivism, and Ayn Rand in particular. That's why Benedict is going to be forced to play Bioshock uh, and all that fun stuff. So I am embarking on that quest to read everything about or written by Ayn Rand that I can get my hands on. Uh, so one of these, it seemed like from the description I read of it, is someone who maybe kind of likes Ayn Rand. And the other one is someone who really doesn't. So they are uh, Goddess of the Market, Ayn Rand and the American Right by Jennifer Burns. Uh, and the other one is Ayn Rand and the World She Made by Anne C. Heller, which is the much, much, much thicker of the two. <laughs> Seems cool. like it might be the more critical of the two. Well, no, I don't know about that because it's the one that describes her as a controversial author, which mm. reads to me like somebody who's about oh, the controversy. It's all about the controversy making her seem sexier than she was. Uh, but I'm very excited to read them. Uh, I'm sure I'm going to have a whole lot of fun. But then again, I am a giant weirdo who likes weird things. That's true. But, Benedict, moving along to housekeeping this week. Uh, remember to rate and review us on the iTunes. Follow us on the social medias at NYGBCPod on Twitter and at NYGBCBen, also on Twitter. On Blue Sky, you can follow us at NYGBCPod and at BenYGBC, because they're different for some reason, so I have to read it off twice. Sorry. Great. Fun times, Benedict. Fun times. Uh, we have... Uh, only update this week uh, is that the new patron-only bonus episode is now available. Uh, mm -hmm. We sat down and watched Michael Knowles and some weird lady fail to even come up with good versions of their own arguments about Frankenstein. So that was a whole lot of fun. It was weird. It was very strange. We could do such a better job than them. Mm -hmm. But, Benedict, that brings us to our new inductees into the spooky world, New World Order. Bleh. Well, hold on. I mean, I'm sure this is going to come up. Uh, uh, I didn't. First of all, I didn't realize the website was no more. Uh, oh, I so. figured you would just respond to that Patreon message, and well, fine. You want to do it on the air? Yeah. The you, you did it, didn't you? I responded to the first question. I figured okay. you'd get the second. We we'll tagged let's, let's do it on the air. Okay. So, uh, uh, new patron. Let me do the induction okay, first. Okay, 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 okay. New patron being inducted into the spooky world or new world order. Bleh. And that is, of course, hey, Kevin, I became a patron to say that you're correct about Brennan Lee Mulligan. One of my <laughs> favorite patron names of all time. <laughs> you are now part of our. Did you hear anything? Because I didn't. 
No. God damn it! <laughs> Son of a bitch! New world, spooky world order. What did I do wrong this time? Hold on. Uh, you know, sometimes it helps. Uh, just a, a, a quick note for everyone out there. It helps when you're trying to play a sound clip. Um, you that you have the computer plugged in. I, I uh, heard it get plugged in. <laughs> so I definitely heard that. You are part of our... New World Spooky World Order, bro. Thank you oh so very Welcome. much. But yes, the website is no more. So, like, my intentions were to write new stuff for the website and update it and do all that. And somewhere along the way, at, as long as it was like six months ago, um, I was like, I have not had time to put anything on the website in a long time. And it's just costing me money to pay for the website and the hosting and all that. And so uh, when the renewal came up, I just let it lapse because I was like, as much as I'd love to do that, it's a sort of thing where like, if we had all the time in the world, that'd be fantastic. I'd love to be there and writing stuff all the time and everything. Uh, but uh, I'll never admit that Benedict was right. So I'm just going to say <laughs> that it was for all these independent reasons. Well, it's also because you're going to be putting that time into your YouTube channel. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, there will be more stuff on the YouTube channel when it's up. That's great. Well, I mean, it's up, but, uh, no videos on it yet. Still working on that. Uh, but, uh, And there isn't, there isn't an about the hosts thing anywhere as no. yet. But uh, we did, just... we, on our New Year's episode, we did discuss, I think, a lot of our backstory and how we met yeah. and stuff like the listener mail Q&A episode. So you can check that out. Um, and I think, I don't remember which episode it is, but we have an episode where I spent like 20 minutes discussing my life backstory. Um, if anyone knows which one that is, let me know. Cause honestly, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, which ex episode that is. No. Uh, but uh, let I me don't know. think it was and, a planned uh, thing. It was just you being like, well, guess we have to talk about this. Yeah. Now. Cause someone <laughs> asked a question about it. Cause I always bring up my right wing shit Lord past. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, but anyways, uh, thank you so much for becoming a patron. We, uh, we are very appreciative, but we have one other inductee into the spooky world, new world order, Benedict. And that is Disa Foss hog. I think that's how it's pronounced at polar atheist on Twitter. Uh, uh, that is the person who recommended the game Inscription to me, which I love. It is a fantastic game. Uh, but you are now part of our... New World Spooky World Order, bro. And thank you oh so very much. Of course, if you would like to join the Spooky World New World Order, bleh, you can tweet or post about the show on social media, recommending to others, and send me a screenshot or tag us in it. Leave us a five-star review wherever you can and drop me a screenshot to let me know. Make a donation to a worthwhile charity, become a patron, or... Just get my attention with something good. And all that out of the way, Benedict, we return, return to our we book We return. R-A-T-V-R-N. <laughs> Let's go. Of Manhood by Josh Hawley, or as he prefers to be known, Anti-Pimp Daddy J. Benedict, what did we read this week? Uh, we read some bad stuff, Kevin. It yeah, was uh, very much, it's been a while since you asked me what did we read this I week. I know, I realize I've been forgetting to do that for a while. Yeah. Uh, well, we read chapter nine, Priest. Thank uh, you. Where, where Josh Hawley is uh, talking about why you should be a priest in other people's lives, I guess. I don't know. It's very weird. Uh, it's it's another weird chapter. It's uh, an eye-glazy chapter, very much, because it's a bunch of, you know, religious mumbo-jumbo who cares. But I did find some very interesting stuff in our chapter this week. I'm excited. Oh, good. I didn't. <laughs> Which brings us, Benedict, too. Do you have an alternate chapter title for I us? I do. It's Hawley's Wager, which will become obvious fantastic, why in, fantastic. in a minute. Uh, I have three, uh, as I tend to do. Uh, first one titled, Never Write Down Your Midlife Crisis. Uh, <laughs> second, Will No One Rid Me of This Meddlesome Chapter 9? <laughs> And my my true and correct alternate chapter title this week, Bobby Fischer was the best chess player, so I'm sure he wasn't wrong about anything either. 
<laughs> yeah, also Gary Kasparov, famously never been wrong about anything. Um, what was he going to say? Oh, fuck. I had a joke. What, did you, what was your first one? Uh, was it the don't write down your midlife crisis or the yeah yeah I just I'm just imagining Idris Elba being like are you taking notes on a midlife fucking <laughs> crisis <laughs> from the wire oh God. fuck uh, miss miss him miss Idris Elba uh, who is not dead uh, no <laughs> you said the wire and I remembered that someone who was on the wire had died recently and for some reason yeah. I'm like Idris Elba wait no it wasn't him no. uh, anyways Benedict is that racist maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we begin chapter nine with Holly writing, quote, it was my mother, I think, who first introduced me to Blaise Pascal. I hate that, I think, <laughs> thing that he does, like, one well, sentence in and I'm already annoyed. I think he's fucking lying, because I don't think that he ever heard of this thing until he sat down to write his book. Um, I did a quick Google to see if he had mentioned it at any time ever. before his book, and I couldn't, nothing pulled up in my initial Google, so it's possible, but it wasn't what I saw. I saw a bunch of stuff from after this book came out that he talked about it. Uh, but it continues. Uh, Blaise Caspel, blah, 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 Night of Blaise Pascal, not Caspel, that's important. Uh, I forgot how old I was. High school, probably. Uh, I had not heard of Pascal at the time. I later learned he was a 17th century polymath. How much later? <laughs> like, <laughs> you find out who he was, and then it was like, oh, well, no interest in who he is as an yeah. actual person. It's yeah. only important that he's gone through the Night of Fire. That's fine. I'm just reading this thing by this guy. Who's the fuck is it? John Gr- Grish- Grisham? Grisham. Who the fuck Grisham. is this dude? Grisham. Who knows? Who knows? I think. Uh, a mathematician, scientist, physicist, and inventor, a prodigy, who made his first major contribution to mathematics at age 16. Blah, blah, blah. It just goes on to talk about how great Pascal is. And some, like, sideways shitting on Descartes for Yeah, for reason? no real reason. Like, he's just, like, he just calls him the insufferable René Descartes of I think, therefore like, I am fame. Let's be honest. I'm sure, being a Frenchman, that Descartes probably was insufferable. You see yeah. that, French listeners? You see that? I'm driving <laughs> you away. <laughs> They're already gone. It's safe. <laughs> But yeah, some weird shitting on Descartes. I have no but, idea. But like, doesn't ever it. like circle back to it. He's not like, and Descartes thought he was shit, and this no. is why, and this is why Descartes wrong. It's just Honestly, like ugh, the insufferable Rene Descartes. I thought it was gonna be like comparing Pascal and Descartes yeah. for some reason, but then we get like a solid. What is it? Like four or five pages, maybe of just well, closer to like five or six of just Pascal, just talking about Pascal. Um, and if you don't know who Blaise Pascal is. He's you do, because it's Pascal's wager, yeah. which is Josh neglects to mention entirely <laughs> while talking about what a great religious figure Blaise Pascal is because he had this night of conversion. Does not mention that the thing Blaise Pascal is literally <laughs> most famous for in most of the population is going, ah, may as well say I'm religious <laughs> and that I believe in God because what's the harm? Yeah, yeah. Okay, here's the thing. First thing I ever learned about Pascal from was Pascal's Law. Which is pressure equals force divided by area. That's fact. so. <laughs> I mean, uh, but that's an entirely different thing that only comes from me being a tractor mechanic. Uh, but yeah, so we get a lot of talk about here's stuff that Pascal invented. Here's some of his theorem. No mention of Pascal's law, as you said, throughout the entire chapter. I Pascal's think bo- wager. Or Pascal's, Pascal's wager. Law. Sorry. I think both of us expected at some point it would come, right? Like, we both Yeah, expected. I thought he was going to be like, and, you know, even Pascal had his doubts sometimes, but but he, he, he was right that 
it's better to weigh to 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 go on the side of caution with these things because the punishment for not believing in God is so much more severe than it's it's kind of like eh eh. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that would like for Josh and his audience that would be too much admitting that there is at, at the bare minimum uncertainty to doubt. right yeah, that yeah. there is an, a, the existence of doubt is something I think they can't like address in a real way. Like they say all the time, oh, I was I was a young man, I had doubt, and then I had a football coach. But they can't like really address the issues I think of it's doubt. It's really funny. <laughs> it's always football coaches, man. It's no, always it's football coaches. No, it's not just that it's football coaches. I just, think, I just think Josh has this weird fascination with large men. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to it. We will get to it. I, I swear know. to God, I have that entire paragraph highlighted. It is all it's highlighted. So every 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 story he tells in this of like an inspirational person to him. He was like, tall he was and strong, huge. manly and hairy all over his body, every square inch. Just, you need to his just... hairs had hairs. <laughs> just <laughs> it, it, that is the one pattern I've noticed in this book. That whenever Josh is inspired by anyone, it's just the biggest dude. You, he yeah. would love. The Reacher show. And I bet oh, he does. Oh, fuck yeah. I bet he I does. I bet he does. The, the bet Amazon does. one that's out now that just has a very large man going around beating people to up. To be fair, I also like The Reacher show. That's I the most dad thing it. about you. It, it is. 100%. Because my dad fucking loves The Reacher show. Of course he does. My dad is the one who introduced me to the Jack Reacher books when There's I was There's no dad that doesn't love that show that's watched it. Because Simply. it is like it's a it's the most satisfying power fantasy you can see. It is just a guy who is bigger, stronger, and more badass than literally everyone, and he just beats the shit out of anyone who bothers him. It is Side a note, great power. It's fantasy. really funny that Tom Cruise played Jack yeah, Reacher. Yeah, fucking movie. Oh so god, funny. don't remind me of that. And they picked one of the worst books to base that movie yeah. on. It was garbage. I can't. Anyway, believe they did it. this is this can be on the Patreon episode. Carry on. <laughs> But anyway, so he moves on from talking about how amazing and smart and brilliant and and huge dicked Pascal was to talk about how... No, not huge dicked. Famously sickly and frail. <laughs> well, that's what Josh is going to talk about next. How yeah. he's sick. Hey, it's those tall, skinny ones that you never suspect. Let me tell you. Uh, but he goes on to talk about how, yes, Pascal was skinny and frail and had bad health. He, he died at like 35 or 36 or something. Yeah, like yeah. That. Uh, so he didn't live very long. It's good yeah. to be a child prodigy when you're dying that young. <laughs> you really got to get it out. It's really the quick. only way to be a prodigy when you're going to die that young. Yeah. Uh, but then he brings up that at some point his dad like broke a leg or an arm or something. And so they had these two brothers who came who were the bone setters who came over to the Pascal house. By the way, the Pascal Which is a great were, name for a band. The bone setters? Oh, yeah. shit. Yeah, that's great. That's great. But they were called the Deschamps or uh, if we're American, not French. The desk camps. That's champs. The desk champs. The desk champs. The desk champs. Yeah. Uh, so they were like Catholic weirdos obsessed with some Dutch theologian named Cornelius Janssen. I assume that was the more Scandinavian. Fine. I would say. I'm sorry. My accent is not correct. Uh, you hear that, Dutch listeners? <laughs> <laughs> We're alienating you all today. Uh, but yeah, so he was really obsessed with these these two. These two guys were obsessed with this theologian. And apparently they just really ruined Blaise Pascal because if he had just been smart and not have creepy religious shit going on, would have been a whole lot more entertaining in my book. Uh, but. The story, as he tells it, is that he became a Christian 
as though he wasn't before he met these two guys. Yeah, it was kind of the default sa- factory setting yes. in Europe. And it's not time. even like an evangelical thing because these two brothers were Catholics. It wasn't like an evangelical, like, I'm now I am agree I am a Christian now. It's not even like that kind of thing. It's just like, well, I'm super into it now is basically the gist of what it seems like. But the whole thing about the fire that, remember, a couple pages ago, Josh talked about the fire thing, is that at some point, Blaise Pascal, this man who is sickly and frail and dying for his whole entire short life, had a psychotic break and saw a bunch of fire and thought it was God and wrote, wrote it down and wrote it down, which is the part you shouldn't do because Josh reprints the entire thing in, on the page from this experience that Blaise Pascal had. And it is, it doesn't look good. It looks like no. the ramblings of someone who needs to, to it, have someone th- help them. This is a fever dream. Yeah. I mean, quite quite literally, this is a fever dream. From someone who was constantly suffering fevers. Yeah. <laughs> Not really all that surprising. But uh, this, this experience that Blaise Pascal had... Uh, whatever it was, did definitely uh, change his life. And that's when he got really into all the Christianity stuff, right? So he started writing uh, Christian apologetics. And of course, the one which we said, weird that Josh doesn't bring it up, Pascal's Wager, not mentioned anywhere in any of this. I don't know why. But Josh continues saying, quote, he succeeded. And he's just talking about like, you know, doing stuff to make people love God or whatever. The flame of his life has inspired men down the centuries, drawing my own eye as a young man all those years later. When I read Pascal's memorial, I was captivated. I wanted his sense of passion and purpose. What man does not? What young man, especially, would not trade almost anything for a golden, burning moment? Um, dude, show me a young man who won't trade a golden, burning moment to see a boob, and then we got something to talk about, okay? Okay. They don't care about the golden burning moment. They want to see some boobs. That's what that's what young men or dicks, you know. I mean, the the, the two can coincide. Butts. Everyone likes butts. <laughs> I made you turn your head away. <laughs> but so yeah, Josh. You know, he was such a brilliant kid. He read Pascal when he was young. Blah blah blah. Uh, and all this comes down to you know this is the intro story. And for some reason, this is the best Josh could do with coming up with an author insert for this week's chapter, I guess. He does He does uh, reference Ponce as well, which is where the wager appears. He just mm-hmm. doesn't refer to the wager by name. Yeah, not at so, all. Very strange. Very strange to me. But he picks up on the next page saying, quote, The world cannot do without God. Try as it might. And try- It has. <laughs> like, it very much. I mean, it has. Yes, it's been fine, bro. It's been fine. Uh, And try as the left has in this country for decades now. Modern Epicurean liberalism is fundamentally atheistic after the pattern of Epicurus himself, who rejected the relevance of the gods. Modern American liberals have followed his example. Their attack on American society as systemically racist, sexist, and I'm reading it as Josh intended. Like, let's be honest. I like, I like... I, well, okay. Can I just say that I like that he puts the systemically is the only put the he, only part he in scare put quotes in scare quotes because he's like, yeah, the rest of it's yeah, it is racist and sexist, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but not systemically. Don't suggest that. <laughs> Stems in large measure from their atheist ambitions. They denigrate the traditional family. By the, Josh, I assume by traditional family you mean one man and as many wives as he can buy. 
Because that's the biblical family, Josh. I hope we're talking about the same traditional family. Let's get on board here. Their target. Uh, oh, no, I skipped a sentence there. Uh, the traditional family, manhood, and even the reality of biological sex for the same reason. Their target is the biblical influence that has shaped much of American life. Their target is the biblical God. In his place, today's liberals offer a woke religion that demands we renounce manhood, womanhood, Christianity, and other supposed markers of social power and submit to the corrective tutelage of the liberal elite. Today's liberals seek to fashion a new sort of person, one beyond male and female, beyond God, who lives to satisfy desire and consume plenty of things, but has no ultimate purpose in life. It just goes fucking it's on. Weirdly weird. Yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> Benedict, I'm, I'm going to go on a limb here. Go ahead. I don't think Josh knows what we want. No, he doesn't. <laughs> or So, I, I mean, I always think it's interesting from a, a, a semi-serious standpoint that they don't engage with the fact that this is true all over the world. Mm -hmm. So you're like, this is America's problem, where actually, like, America's, like, much more religious than a lot of the rest of the, oh, yeah. the Western world. Like He the, talks about know, he... Australia later, literally one of the countries with the highest percentage of nuns on the planet. Yeah, that's weird. But... <laughs> Like you, you know, you look even the UK, like bits of France, like it's it, <clears throat> Scandinavia, like they're much less religious than than the US. But it's like equating liberalism with godlessness is is particularly weird. When like even you know Obama is very open about being religious, and you know like uh, Joe Biden goes to fucking mass once a week. Yeah, like it's, which it's odd. We haven't gotten there yet, but in a couple of pages, he argues that it's the leftist elites, the leading class, the the Democrat Party, who are pushing these atheist ideas. And like, can you name? I can name one atheist in Congress, and that's it. And it's and it's Raskin. That's the only yeah. one. Like, I can't name anybody else. I can't yeah. name. Like, and some and of as that you said, may be, you know, performative because it's hard to get elected as an atheist unless yeah. you're in an ultra-liberal place. Or you're Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, uh, no, he's not part... We, we No, he's not allowed to be no, he, part I mean, of us. You know, he's not. He's... I mean, honestly, like, we, we keep... We, we This comes up with us every now and then. Like, is he an atheist? Like, For sure. Nobody pushes the Christianity bullshit as much as he does. No, he's definitely an atheist. Yeah, I, For sure. I honestly don't know. It's not worth talking about, but that brings us, Benedict, to the first subsection of this chapter titled The God Bearer, which he begins by, and I'm not going to read it because it's very boring. He begins by telling the story of David bringing the ark at Indiana Jones. You see where there I got from this Perfect. week? Yeah, at, yeah. At bringing the ark into the city and the weird dancing and murdering of lots of animals for no reason that happened along the way to get it where it was going. Uh, because the whole story is like every D David's dancing, David dances, and I like to. Imagine... Yeah, and then and then his one of his w women friends is like, "You're embarrassing." <laughs> <laughs> well, because he was doing the cha-cha slide. That's ah, really yeah. why. If it was anything else, <laughs> what happened this time? <laughs> but he was doing it alone. That's what uh, makes it weird. Yeah, that's you can't tough. do the cha-cha yeah, -cha slide the, alone. You have to have a yeah, exactly. Most dancers, I think, require at least. Uh, some, some level of interaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how many people you need to not look weird doing that on your own. Uh, but so yes, brought it in. The, the only thing I really highlighted from this part, before we get to the fantastic moment, is where, where he says that the story is saying that God follows David and goes where David goes. 
right? And I, so another one of those points where I wonder, is this a heresy? Mm. Is Josh doing a heresy? It's a holy heresy for sure. Because implying that all this is God following, there's two reasons why. One is like God following a human. That's probably heresy on its own, right? God does what the human, you know, tells him to do or whatever. The other side of it is, isn't your whole thing that your God is everywhere all the time? So would it even be possible for him to be constrained to a single location such that he could follow anyone? Our God is omnipotent and omnipresent, so they can Uh, do whatever they want. Okay, fine then. But Benedict, then we get to the fun part, where mm. Josh says, quote, There is a famous scene in J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings that my boys love, where the wizard Gandalf stands upon the bridge of Khazad-dûm and blocks the path of the demon creatures of a deep, the Balrog. As Gandalf forbids the demons to pass the bridge, he warns, I am a servant of the secret fire. That is the idea. Men are meant to bear fire within... That is not the famous line from that scene, Josh. No, but there is I, another I kn- one that's much more important. Yeah, and uh, you shall not pass. Pass, not pass. <laughs> pass, please. Um, but then Gandalf does famously fall to his not death, p- not quite. Falls uh, to his rebirth. Sure. I'll be, be honest, I think dying? it is I think it is very unclear in the entirety of Lord of the Rings, intentionally ambiguous, what the fuck happens to Gandalf there. Yeah, I mean he's I think my understanding of it is that it's a it's a rebirth as a more uh more powerful uh Maya. As Gandalf the White. As Gandalf the White, mm-hmm. yes. Um basically he levels up. <laughs> <laughs> He had a class change. That's what happened. Yeah, he it. went from mage to sorcerer. It's a whole thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, I only thing I brought that up was because I like that Josh refused to use really the line that matters more in also, that scene. Also, it just doesn't go into Lord of the Rings lore at all. Like, if you're going to say, I am a servant of the sacred fire, you have to get into, like, the actual mythology around Lord uh, of the Rings. Is it and the I don't fire know of well Mount enough. Doom, Josh? Which fire? No, I mean, it, the, the, it's a fi- <laughs> there is a god in Lord of the Rings that's certainly not the Christian god. I mean, you know, it's... it's hey, a, you know I'm, what? I really love in fiction when, like, somebody who's writing fiction, a fiction author, as we call them, mm-hmm. maybe, like, doesn't realize that they've accidentally just put, like, Christianity in their thing, but didn't bother to, like, come up with the backstory because they... It's just, like, incorporated from their everyday no, life and experience, to- but Tolkien it's there. had all the backstory, and also he was yeah. very conscious that he was... Like, he was a practicing Catholic. But but um, there are many... I know, I was him. Like, we had this thing in, like, sixth grade where we had to dress up like a famous character and write a book report about them and then sit in, like, a fake wax museum thing, and mm. I was J.R. Tolkien. <laughs> That's fun. I had a beer where he used to drink with C.S. Lewis, so... Nice. We're the same. Um... Uh, so, uh, but also, I mean, he did write extensive law and like even. No, so I wasn't talking about him doing that, but like, okay, sure. If you watch any anime set in a fantasy world, crosses are still the symbol of the religious people. Uh, okay. okay. Makes no sense, but it's there. No. And we don't question it. And that happens in all sorts of fiction. <laughs> if we just always landed on it as the most efficient <laughs> way of killing. <laughs> people who claim to be Look, gods man, it, it just fucking works doesn't matter if you're an elf or a goblin a half orc it doesn't matter we'll just yep. kill you with it but that brings us benedict to the section where he discusses the big strong sexy man <laughs> his high school football <laughs> coach he says quote i knew someone like this 
His name was Eric Berg. Coach Berg to me. He was one of my high what school football coaches. What did he coach you to do, Josh? To play with himself. He was what? one of my high school football coaches who guided me on the field for years and became a personal mentor. Four years, Josh. Four years. You can say it. You're in high school for four years. We know how mm-hmm. long he guided you on the field. I never admired a man more. Eric Berg, I swear he said this about every man who he's presented he as has. some kind of idol. Like, he's always yeah. been, like, my most admired person. Like, and Okay, so remember there was a chapter where he was talking about the football coach. And he mentioned a different football coach. Yeah. Right? Because that football coach was famous. But Josh never played for him. But this coach, Coach Berg, I think, this is my guess... Is the one, or no, was it a vice principal who he followed around the school picking up trash? Principal. Maybe I just have it all confused. Yeah, then it's not the same guy. I just got it confused in my head. But continuing, Eric Berg lit up a room. Part of it was his sheer physicality. He had been a linebacker at the University of Missouri and still carried himself like a linebacker does. Confident, commanding, but the real. Do you think Josh played linebacker? I don't know what. Absolutely not. Given his size, he did not play linebacker. He is he is a skinny man. Mm. But the real spark was in his face. It was bright somehow, always, even when he wasn't smiling, even when he was, in fact, shouting commands on a field. He radiated a... This is the That's, most homoerotic smut is, I have read this, in my this life. This is a hagiography. Hey, hey this and is also, incredible. It is impossible to radiate ebullience while you're barking orders. That is, <laughs> that is literally impossible. So shut the fuck hey, up. Hey, Kim Jong-il can do it. He can do Kim, both at the Kim same Jong-il time. Kim Jong-il can do anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You hear that, South Korean listeners? <laughs> <laughs> so we get literally <laughs> two paragraphs. We get two paragraphs of him just gushing over this fucking coach. I don't know why. And believe you me, I tried to find out if this coach has ever had anything to say about Josh, uh, particularly since the events of the insurrection. And, like, there is one quote in an AP article where he's like, well, seeing how Josh was back then, I see where he got where he is now. Great. Cool. And then, like, the only other thing I can find that even mentions this coach is an article in the Phelps County Focus. Uh, Where are they now? Eric Berg. Because he played high school football in Phelps County, apparently. Mm. But no mention of Josh Hawley. So, no, nothing there for me. Great. But Josh, yes, but he is, Josh loves a big dude. Anyway, he that's loves the, he loves a big man. Did I get to the part where he talked about uh, size? And, uh, maybe yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. He I said he it, filled the room. Yes, he did. Uh, but Josh continues. As a teenager, I saw in Eric Berg a man I wanted to be inside. I mean, become. I mean, become a model of what a man could be, of what a man could do. He wielded power that changed the fortunes of lives, and. We need to have a discussion with all of the men about the worship of coaches. We yeah, just really weird. do. I, I mean, it's, it's well, having said that, I did say that Jurgen Klopp is my secondary <laughs> father last year, last week. So I know what you mean, but also I would like to defend myself from this, this preemptive attack. You want to know something fun? Um, I, I, so when you were talking about him, I got it in my head. It'd be really cool if I could like do something for Ben that would be like, you know, having to do with his favorite coach and whatnot. I went and looked to see if he was on cameo and he was not, or you would have a cameo from him. (laughs) There is, however, Benedict, a Jurgen Klopp impersonator on cameo. (laughs) Please don't waste money on that. (laughs) 
Um, it's also weird. So, okay. It's just very quickly. You're right about the coach thing. Mm-hmm. Mid paragraph. Yeah. He goes, he wielded a power, talking about Coach Berg, wielded yes. a power that changed the fortunes of lives upon his papal inauguration. <laughs> like, really, like, sw- like, he doesn't. It's a hard switch there, isn't it's it? It's a real hard switch. Mid paragraph. John Paul II said, Christ, make me become and remain the servant of your unique power, the servant of your sweet power, the servant of your power that knows no eventide. Eric Berg had that kind of Was power. John Paul II the Nazi pope, no, the pedophile pope, Bene- or the... Bene- Benedict. Okay, he was the one that covered up for a lot of pedophiles. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, all of, all, all of them did that. But never mind. We'll move on. Uh, he ends the subsection by saying, quote, Genesis says God walked in the garden with Adam, that Adam was invited to be in God's presence. By expanding the garden, Adam was invited to take that presence to the world. Which, again, we've been over it a thousand times. He was kicked out of the garden. Mm-hmm. That was For being the a whole shit bag. deal. <laughs> yeah, that was the whole fucking deal. And then, the, look, maybe it's just my reading, but my reading is God fucking abandoned humans until Abraham came along because he was pissy for a cool couple hundred years. God had a nice little sulk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He went to his room. Sat on his phone, scrolled through TikTok, had a deal with his feelings. God back. didn't text back for a while. <laughs> he left him on red. He left him on red. <laughs> just Adam's press going up. Just <laughs> do you think? Do you think when God saw Adam's prayers, they were in a green bubble or a blue bubble? Which one? Uh, do you think? No. So what would have happened is they would have been in a blue bubble originally, and then Adam would have started seeing them in a green bubble because he'd have been blocked. <laughs> <laughs> that brings us to the next subsection of this chapter, Benedict. Glad you like that one. Which is called Fire and Sacrifice. And it begins, But how does a man do this, cultivate a character where God's fire burns? The David story offers a suggestion. We read that David dances with all his might as the ark comes into the city. Only reason I read that is because I have a note in the margins that says Footloose is a, a biblical story. The only, the only thing that <laughs> worth, it, worth it, worth it for the joke. But this is where we get the whole thing about the wives, right? So uh, the one of David's wives, traditional marriage, Josh, one of his wives complained that all the dancing was like, I don't know, what's the word you would use for a king? Unprofessional? Unseemly. Uh, there we go. Unseemly. Unbe- unbecoming. <laughs> unbecoming. That is exactly the word I should use. And, um, you know, Josh is like, Nah, she fucking wrong. Yeah. D- David should dance with all his might. He should cut foot loose, perhaps? Yeah. Well, he's also like, <laughs> you know, it's worth it that David debases himself for the crowd. <laughs> Seems like Josh might know something about Josh debasing knows. yourself for the crowd. <laughs> he knows a thing or two Raise about fists them. for the crowd, Josh. Ring any bells? But then we get a discussion of chubby little fancy boy Edmund Burke. Uh, look at any picture of him. He's a chubby little fancy boy. Or a royalist bootlicker, whichever one you would prefer to go with. Uh, but he says about Burke, Edmund Burke was an 18th century writer, philosopher, and statesman who wrote a famous polemic against the French Revolution and the atheism that animated it. In that celebrated classic, Reflections on the Revolution in France, consider one of the founding documents of modern conservatism. You like how I did the accent there for France? I did, like yeah, I did France. Uh, Burke wrote that man was born to worship, that he is a religious animal. He explained worship like this. Man's nature, he said, is to give himself to something greater than he is, and not just to any cause or fashion. 
but to that which speaks to the permanent part of his nature. And I, I highlight that, A, to make fun of Edmund Burke, but B, because I think Who this was right to, about one thing, which one is that the thing. French Revolution ate one itself. One thing, which is that yeah, maybe they went too far, okay? Uh, but so, by the way, I mean, we talked about Mary Shelley, right? Mary Shelley also had reflections on the French Revolution, mm-hmm. uh, which were much more reasonable than Edmund Burke's. Uh, but anyway, so... The reason I bring this up is because I think this ties into, and I think I'm seeing, like, a tableau of ideas Ooh. here that are all connected. Welcome together. back, French listeners. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the idea, and it goes back to, if you remember, that Dutch politician who we've talked about several times now that Josh cited to, mm-hmm. whose, whose thing was the poor should just be happy. Because happy to be here. Happy to be poor. Don't try and raise their station in life because they're going to enjoy heaven so much more because it kind of sucks for them right now, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that ties into this idea that he's trying to put out here with Edmund Burke and the idea of you're a religious animal. The idea of making people consistently look upwards rather than looking at, at what's right in front of them right here prevents them from having even the thought of improving their material position. And, of course, that position yeah. vis-a-vis the people who have all the power here on Earth. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. And then also, I think the other thing that I f- have found with Josh in particular is his method of argument is very much like someone wrote this in the past and I agree with it. Therefore, mm-hmm. it is right. Yeah. So like you can't just be like, well, Burke said that man is a religious animal. And I think that's correct. Like you can do that, I guess, but it's not a very compelling argument. No, it's an appeal to authority. Really, yeah. Is all it it, is. Well, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's exactly. But so, right. but that's that's been whole. That's been Josh's whole argumentation in this book, and it's it doesn't. It, really it just has, doesn't yeah. strike me as very loyally uh, or very thorough for someone who is purportedly a qualified lawyer. Well, and, you know, the other thing, just quickly before you go, actually, no, you do your thing, and then I'll say my thing. Well, I'm just saying that I don't. You know, if Josh's intent was to provide sound, logical, good arguments, that is simply not possible for mm-hmm. the points he wants to make. So he has to go to these deep abstractions that have no real connection to reality. They have no real, that, that can't be critiqued. They're unfalsifiable because they're just mm-hmm. vague ideas. They're vibes more than anything else. There's nothing to fact check. Yes, Edmund Burke said that. Mm-hmm. So? Yeah, and? <laughs> um, so the other thing I was going to say, and I think it, it hadn't really hit home until this chapter, is... Um, and it's it's obvious now when I think about it, and maybe I'm the last person to realize this, but this is a self-help book. Yeah, I, I've mentioned how much this is like Clean Your Room or 12 yeah, Rules no, for Life Yeah, no, but not even that. It's, it's, this is fully a self-help book. Yeah, like it's, yeah it's it really not, comes off it, that way. It, which I, I, you're right that, I, I, and I haven't read 12 Rules for Life, so I don't know that it's like... I, maybe you You'll said it and it didn't copy re- arriving at your home <laughs> tomorrow. <not. laughs> maybe you said it and it didn't register with me that that is a self-help book too. But like this feels very like, th- you know, if you put Tony Robbins on the cover instead yeah. and had the same content, I wouldn't be surprised. Because like self-help is generally a genre that is full of uh, uh, the writing style is never make a concrete statement except for the yeah. most basic. Of this things, is what's right? wrong with the world. And this is the steps you can take to control your own life. That's it. Right. It has to be as vague as possible, so it yeah. applies to as many people as possible. And it has to be something that anyone can find something within, meaning mm-hmm. you can't have too concrete 
of a definition or of an argument or an explanation. It has to be something that people find, because that's what self-help is, right? It is people not really getting anything from this person, but getting emotional support from this idea of self-help and then finding things within themselves. And if you look at it, actually, I mean, the... Uh, especially for Josh's audience, which I presume is a largely married one. Mm-hmm. Um, the They're way all it pro- wife guys. Well, yeah, but in the worst <laughs> possible way. Um, the the way it progresses really does draw you in. I think um, because it when it gets to part two. So part one was less self helpy uh, and was more about like man's place in the world in his in his view. Um, but then chapter five onwards, we go husband, which uh, is, is presumably, my guess would be a large pool of his audience, mm-hmm. to father, which again, like probably a significant but smaller portion of his audience. Uh, then And then to warrior, which again, probably a smaller portion. So we're just going down the funnel here. <laughs> yeah, and the last and, one is king, which yeah, is going to be... just him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, it's just for Donald Trump. That's the only but one I can, that I can see. For. I can see the... Uh, you know, I think reading the chapters in isolation, we can it can take away from the whole and the point of the book and where the book is trying to push us. And if you step back for a second and think about it in that way, it's it's an interesting like forcing through of the funnel of like these are these are the steps you take mm-hmm. to go from husband to father to warrior to priest to king. But the thing you will never see any like self help author do, okay, except maybe Jordan B. Peterson is interspersed self-help with rambling right-wing culture war grievance shit. Like, that's the thing that I think sets this book apart from any self-help book that I'm aware of. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, moving along, uh, we next get a story about one time Josh went to Australia. Fun. Yeah, and then, like, followed the... Followed the path of a weird dude that may or may not have existed. Yeah, you hear that, Australian listeners? You're all (laughs) weird. Just one. <laughs> so it's about a guy named oh, Arthur no, Stace. Not our Australian. Oh listeners. no! Oh no! <laughs> I really wish I could do the oh no because like I can't. My mouth can't make those noises that I see those people doing on TikTok. You've got to. But active, at the same time, yeah, your, oh, your mouth. No. <laughs> I can't do it. I want to do it. I know we have Australian listeners too. You really. <laughs> Somebody record yourself saying, oh, no, in Australia. Yes, we've all seen the TikToks. Uh, but so this guy, Arthur Stace, apparently was someone I don't it, – it's not clear for I, – I like looked at his Wikipedia page, and there wasn't a whole ton of information there either because he didn't get, like, famous until he was dead. So it was just some guy who would, like, write the word eternity in chalk all over Sydney, mm-hmm. and that was the whole deal. And, like, if somebody was doing that now, like, we'd be like, oh, there's chalk there. But I guess it. I yeah, guess it only works it in cool. a in a in a climate that doesn't rain very much. Like this could only work in Australia or Arizona. You hear that, Australia? You're in arid climate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, this is a, an entire thing that Josh goes on about because he thinks this eternity word is so cool, and they call Powerful, it compelling eternity. And that why was that in there? I can still not tell you because he doesn't even bother to connect it to any of the so ideas there are he's loads of about. stories in this in this uh like chapter in particular mm-hmm. where it's just like he starts a story and then doesn't round it off at all yeah we get it later in the um the student story he tells as well that he just yes. like i once had a student well we'll get to it we'll get to it all the, the i think the entire thing is just like 
this person needs what I'm saying you need in this chapter, I mm. think is like the general gist of it. But what not you- like I helped give it to them in my <laughs> life. <laughs> so that brings us to the next page, Benedict, uh, where I have highlighted here. Worship is an acknowledgement that a man needs to be filled. And Benedict, I have known a few men coach. who needed to be filled. Yeah. <laughs> I've known a few of them. Uh, but yes, that brings a, does that bring us to the story? No, it doesn't bring us to the story yet that you were talking about. Not yet, uh, no. He talks about the French. He goes back to the French Revolution again. Yep. Um, There's a lot of shitting on the French Revolution in this chapter. Not surprising. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But he doesn't do it in a way that's any more interesting than any of the authors we've read shitting on the French Revolution before. So I didn't really bother with a whole lot no, of it. No, he does... Yeah, go back and listen to our French Revolution. Yeah. Um, he, does, he does say, like, the men in uh, the Bible... Uh, create a lot of work for god they lie yeah. they cheat they destroy things oh so like toxic men are we to- toxic. That, uh, mm. yeah, yeah. Oh, guess guess oh, men oh. Uh, maybe men are trash josh yeah. uh, gotcha buddy gotcha <laughs> but he moves on and he says quote and make no mistake worship requires sacrifice most men know this instinctively oh this is the funniest bit of the <laughs> <laughs> they sacrifice for things all the time They put in extra hours at work, sacrificing their free time. They sacrifice personal recreation to spend time with their kids. They train their bodies and discipline their minds to get better at a sport. Do women not do all of this also? Uh, No, only men. Only men. You didn't know this? Only men do those things. Yeah, really uh, shouldn't be surprised by that. Those are sacrifices. We we do get onto a thing that only a man would do, though. When he's like, (laughs) one one time, the ground opened up in the Roman Forum. I was about to get there. I was about to get there. Let me read the paragraph, okay? That is, I'm sorry. He's right. No woman would do that. (laughs) He says, the ancients had a keen sense of the power of sacrifice. About 400 years before the birth of Christ, the Roman Forum was devastated by a mysterious chasm which suddenly appeared in its center, disrupting civic and social life. The city's augurs reported that the chasm was the work of the gods, a warning, and the price of the Republic's survival was the sacrifice of that which Rome held most dear. A young warrior named Marcus Curtius offered the dearest thing to him, his life. He outfitted his horse in battle attire. And donned his full battle armor, then mounted up and rode straight into the chasm. <laughs> he murdered a horse, is what happened. Human. Okay. First of all, the audacity to be like the augurs have said that someone that Rome holds most dear needs to die. That's me. I'm what Rome holds most dear. And then to be like, I'm gonna get into a full suit of armor and ride my horse into the hole in the ground. <laughs> Honestly, here's here's what makes it funny for me. My imagination is that the horse was smarter than the guy and really just refused, no, refused to go into the hole and just like they had to keep doing it like six times. Come come on, fucking go. Fucking (laughs) kept jumping over. Jump in the hole, horse. And then like no, no, like resolution to that story again. (laughs) Just like fucking tumbled into a hole, died. And then what? I didn't bother to even Google to see if that story was real because honestly, it does not matter. That no. story is the fantastic, like, yeah, whether this, it's real this, or not. Ma- this this makes men look good. <laughs> okay, I did just now look at it, right? Mark, it, okay. Fuck you, Josh. Here's the beginning of the Wikipedia page. Marcus Curtius is a mythological young yeah. Roman who offered himself to the god Hades. That, it's, a, it's a part of the mythology, Josh. It's not a real fucking thing, asshole. 
What a fucking asshole Josh is. Anyways, I love that. I thought that was fantastic. One of the best parts of the chapter. That brings us to the next subsection, which is titled The Atheist Project. And it begins, quote, Today's Epicurean liberals will have none of this, of course. This being throwing yourself into pits to please the yeah. gods. <laughs> I agree, Josh. We will be having none of that. There will be no pit throwing on my watch. I, I kindly disagree. They believe, like their ancient instructor Epicurus, that the gods are noxious and anti-human. Epicurus said trying to fathom the gods' ways is futile. Trying to please them, impossible. The only sure result of religion is to render humans constant supplicants, scraping and bowing and begging for this or that, without ever knowing if they will get an answer. Better to live as if the gods didn't exist and ignore them entirely. Control what you can control, which is your happiness, Epicurus said. Which, I mean, cool. Epicurus had good advice, man. Um, I'm down. I'm, I'm yeah, that, I, that sounds like something you might get out of therapy, to be honest. <laughs> He's made... Yeah, look. Now, we've talked about this before. What are you supposed to do when God opens a chasm in the middle of the town? You shouldn't be blaming yourself for it, okay? <laughs> it's certainly not your responsibility to sacrifice yourself <laughs> by riding in full battle armor into the middle of it. I should have done my Jordan Peterson voice if I'm playing a therapist there. Now, when a chasm... Opens up. The the it's representative of, of the hole in your life. <laughs> Continuing on, Josh says, The modern liberal program in this regard began in earnest with the French Revolution, informed by Epicureans like Jean-Jacques Rousseau. I also, sorry, just on the French Revolution, again, I love how they never reckon with Thomas Jefferson's role in the French Revolution. A nah. literal co-author of their constitution. Nah, nah don't, nah, don't. Shut up, man. Don't bring it up. Don't bring it. Don't bring it up. Stop it. Stop it. Like, stop. stop. Okay, okay. Don't mention it. Like, we don't want to talk. Fine, fine. Okay, don't bring right. up. Yeah, don't bring no, up. No. Don't bring up Sally Hemings either. Shut up. Shut yeah, up. Yeah, well, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, but whom Edmund Burke once called the insane Socrates of the National Assembly. The French revolutionaries adopted a campaign of wholesale atheism. Not only, they said, was the Catholic Church a corrupt institution responsible for many of the political abuses they aimed to rectify. Correct? Yeah. <laughs> we can stop there. Yeah. Because they were correct. Now, what they did to fix that, maybe They maybe not swung the a little too hard the other way. Like, may maybe they were, like, too Look, into the changes, maybe. Maybe a little too much garter strangling. But, you know, um, uh, I think they correctly diagnosed the issue, yeah. in part. Uh, but yeah, he's mad about, he's mad that the revolution w was against the church and religion and stuff. I also right. love the bit in a, in a little, a little while. By the way, Bennett, do, do the French have a word for virtue? Uh, virtue. <laughs> Very good. Um, I, I love the bit in a little while. I think we can just skip ahead to it, to be honest. The, he, he says, basically, we go from the cult of reason, then the cult of the supreme being, then the cult of Napoleon Bonaparte. I'm on page 166. Yes, yes, I know um, exactly where you are. Okay. And one constitution after the other. The only constant was the expanding power of government and the withering away of freedom of every kind, public and personal. Let's just acknowledge that the starting point before this was absolute monarchy, <laughs> under which the king had absolute power to do whatever. The f there is no expanding yeah. of the government from absolute monarchy. That is as no. expanded no. as it yes. gets. <laughs> I, I, I love that you picked up on that too, because that's what I have written in my notes. Like, um... 
King anyone? Yeah. Anyone? But yeah, there's another part of that that I also like, which is the discussion of the cults, right? The cult of reason, the cult mm-hmm. of the supreme being. Those are two actual things that existed yep. during the French Revolution, right? The cult of reason was sort of like the, I don't know, excuse to have festivals and replace religion, I guess. The cult of the supreme yeah, being... Yeah, and also, I mean, an evolution of what Pascal was talking about, of why, yeah. like, you should only believe things that are logical, and that's actually what Pascal's wager is about, is mm-hmm. that it's, like, a rational reason to believe in Christianity, right? Because why not? It's yeah, better if exactly. to be wrong than... Uh, yeah, exactly. But the last one there, he says, the cult of Napoleon Bonaparte, you just had a list of two things that actually existed, and then you make up one that's figurative. Well, it, it, it's interesting, because he knows he's doing that, because the first two are capital C cults. Yes. And the third one is capital C something else. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's just Josh. No, uh, <laughs> the, 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 the cult of Napoleon, which uh, I don't mind that. That's quite a clever right. turn of phrase. I don't right. mind that. But he picks up saying next, quote, That dreary record has not stopped a modern American liberals from pursuing a similarly themed agenda. One of the godfathers of today's woke liberals was a 1960s intellectual named Herbert Marcuse. Marcuse! All right! Marcuse comes up. Marcuse. Who who picked up not far from where the French revolutionaries left off. Marcuse was Marxist. Yes, yes, he was. Marcuse. Ah, he should have used that when he was alive. He should have done that. He should have changed his name. It would have been fun. Uh, uh, Mark Hughes, uh, we've talked about before. Yeah, uh, he was in the Mark Levin book. Yeah, Uh, he was a Marxist. Uh, He was part of the Franklin School, as we all know. Thank you, Mark Levin, for that. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) The Frankfurt School, yes. Uh, But uh, he was part of all that. He did pursue left politics during his time in the U.S., and he is basically the source of the cultural him and those with him in the frankfurt school are where the right gets its cover to scream about cultural marxism and pretend they're not just parroting the nazis Mm -hmm. that's where they get it from because he says next about him in a break with marx marcuse decided that economics wasn't destiny after all culture was american culture was shot through with christianity and christian influence was preventing the revolution that america needed and then uh skipping forward just a little ways he says here next quote he pressed for a thoroughgoing culture kampf. Culture kampf. Mm. Why did Little you use German. the original German yeah. there, Josh? A, a culture war to oust the influence of the Bible, including using the power of the state to advance the cause. Marcuse famously advocated what he called repressive tolerance. Now, I'm yeah, not an ep- a- expert on Marcuse by no. any means, but I am aware of what Marx meant when he was talking about repressive tolerance Mm -hmm. because he was referencing the work that Karl Popper was doing Mm -hmm. on the paradox of tolerance, Mm -hmm. I believe. I'm 90% sure. Somebody tell me if I'm wrong. And I think Marcuse is building on what Marx said about religion being the opiate of the people as well. I mean, that you know, and and there's a couple of, not to get too deep into it, but like imperialism and colonialism are part of the reason that the revolutions didn't occur in the way you know right lenin's written about this and like basically you export the the horrific working conditions to other countries and therefore get the benefits of capitalism without all the suffering that entails not that it doesn't entail suffering also (laughs) but it doesn't the most horrific suffering doesn't doesn't happen at home as it were um and then, you know, Marx was writing about the importance of religion in preventing people from feeling like they were suffering and like 
you know, wanting a better life in this world because they would, again, be granted one in the next world. Like, the, mm -hmm. there is a way that religion is like, well, just stick this out and then you'll be fine for eternity. Like, that's... A literal opiate of the masses. Yeah, yeah precisely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it numbs you to the to the pain of, the, of this life. And so you can see how Marcus got there is all I'm saying. Yes, absolutely. And and that he had a very, very reasonable point to make. I think it's you know very entirely reasonable to make to raise those points because that is just what's happening. Uh, but Josh continues, as Marcuse's intellectual heirs have come to positions of power, they have pursued his aims. Really, the aims of the French Revolution with gusto. For years now, liberal intellectuals have worked to curtail the free exercise of Christian belief. And next, we get like a half page that is lists of what Josh is saying is the left's attempts to curtail free exercise. Mm -hmm which I will give you the basic rundown of here. And you can tell me whether these are piddly bullshit to whine about or... It's that. I can tell you, you know, right now. Okay. You have to read it. Okay. Yeah. Well, let me read them for you. They said, he says, quote, They have argued that citizens should not make arguments about public policy on the basis of their religious convictions or even using religious language. Persecution! Yeah. Well, okay. So I think, again, the interesting part of this is that this is all framed around Christianity, whereas I think if you and Judaism to an extent, mm -hmm. um, and if you framed it about other religions, then I think Josh would very much agree that those things shouldn't be used yeah. to. Because we're a Christian fascist republic, Benedict. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, you know, I think if you would say I to invoke, you know, Allah or whomsoever, yes. which whichsoever God. Is, is God of your religion. I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene was the one, I think it was her, who, or was it Lauren Boebert, who was arguing that uh, Ilhan Omar wasn't properly elected because she swore an oath on the Quran, not the yeah, Bible. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, fuck off. All right, I'm going to go through these quickly here. So, okay. they oppressed the courts to prohibit elected officials from invoking God or the Bible when deliberating about laws. That's, uh, I think, uh, probably referring to, like, prayer before legislative mm -hmm. sessions. Uh, in rhetoric, eerily, eerily reminiscent of Rousseau. No, I think it's like saying this is what God would want. When oh, you're sure. Saying, yeah, it's also yeah. bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in rhetoric, eerily reminiscent of Rousseau and the French radicals, today's liberals demand citizens confine themselves to public reason when debating the issues facing society. Again, this is supposed to be about how we're persecuting them. And it's just arguments that have been made by the two sides. Good work, Josh. Continuing, more recently, liberal officials have targeted churches and synagogues for unfavorable treatment. Not mosques. Mosques were allowed to stay open, presumably. Yeah. I, I presume, yes. No, it's just COVID lockdowns. It's COVID yeah, lockdowns. Yeah, no, exactly. That's what that one is. Next, they have attempted to teach grade school students that the true American founding happened in 1619. That's the what? 1619 project that they're mad about. I know. What, Josh? Yeah. What? This is your persecution? Fuck off! Yeah. Uh, in place of the old patriotic story of colonists arriving to these shores in search of religious liberty, spreading freedom and republican government across so the So we should lie to our children. Yeah, well, he believes that wholeheartedly. They say American history is about the spread of slavery and oppression. Kind of is, though. Kind of is. And the last one, they have insisted under the official auspices of the Smithsonian Museum, no less... That Christianity is an artifact of white culture, and therefore we are to infer oppressive. Sorry, we are to infer. No. <laughs> that you don't have to make that inference. You are to infer, yeah, Josh. You, you have we inferred. We By don't the way, have to Josh, infer. I heard there is a sinkhole in Florida that needs... <laughs> 
a horse. That, that for sure guy. is a big pothole in Missouri. That we just need into. to start tweeting pictures of large Missouri potholes at Josh. <laughs> because I swear to God, I literally I was driving Saturday over this weekend in the evening. Uh, and my car hit a pothole. I literally had to pull over and check to make sure nothing was broken. Don't sacrifice yourself for Missouri's <laughs> well-being. It's not worth it. I am the modern day Marcus Curtius. I driving saw you look at my your browser steed, tab. <laughs> driving my steed, the Honda Accord, into the chasm to save the peoples. That is what's going on. Honestly, if you could get Josh Hawley not elected by doing that, I think it would maybe be worth it. But we got like five pages left here. We're going to bust through it, I swear. Let's go, let's go. He says, like Epicurus, today's left speaks in terms of liberty. Oh no, how fucking dare we? Yeah, I know. More accurately, leftists long for liberation from God. (laughs) More accurately, this other thing that I'm going to make up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, blah, blah, blah. It, yeah, I just had to get that main argument he's putting out there because it's kind of fucking dumb. But he goes on, it's a rant here. It's everything you would expect. He says a little later on, quote, uh, It is why they demand these same children get access to puberty-blocking drugs without their parents' consent. Biological sex, male and female, cannot exist in the modern liberal mindset. It must not. It suggests something fixed, something immutable, outside the control of government or man. And I always highlight Sorry, when... It suggests permanence, perhaps even God, is wh- how he finishes sure. that line. Yeah. But I always, whenever these people state that the motivations are their, of their enemies are control, I always highlight that. Because you should, everyone listening, in your everyday lives, keep an eye out for that. Because it's probably a sign of conspiratorial thinking. Mm-hmm. Because the idea of control for control's sake, we've seen it in, I think, every author we've ever looked at. They always talk about, why are they doing this? Because they want to control you. Because that is the only ends that justify the insane means that these people are proposing is whatever this conspiracy is. It's the only thing. It couldn't be the reality that there actually are uh, children who experience uh, gender dysphoria and have these feelings and we're trying to help them. Some of them might be trans. They might be non-binary. We're just trying to make sure that kids don't fucking commit suicide because that's a horrible thing and we fucking care about these kids. No, it's because we want to control society so we have had a however many year long plan to convince all the kids that they're envies. That's what it is. Keep your eye. I'm just Couldn't saying keep your else. eye out. Keep your eye out for that control stuff. Skipping ahead a little bit of a ways, he says, quote, On the contrary, liberal atheism has instead made our society more hierarchical and elitist. No, it hasn't. Not from when there were kings and priests. Like, it simply hasn't. Meddlesome priests? Meddlesome priests, particularly. (laughs) The liberal Epicureans have given us a new aristocracy as forecast by Marcuse, one organized around education and the social status awarded by institutions now governed by the left. But nobody gives those institutions special status to confer status. That's the thing. You're all just going, oh, well, Harvard likes it, so now we have to be mad. Who cares what Harvard hey Josh, likes? Uh, Josh, uh, where'd you go to school at, Josh? Yeah, exactly. where, it, it's, again, the hypocrisy. It's, it's not dumb. a good argument, but I always no. bring it up because it makes it so unclear what the fuck his point, what he actually believes. Because he's criticizing himself and people like him. Yeah. 
That I just I, I always bring it up because I don't know what the fuck Josh Ashley thinks. He's always very unclear on all about that. Uh, but he blah blah blah. Uh, education blah blah blah. Their own doctrines have unraveled the American commitment to equality and respect for the common man. If human nature is permanent and given by God, all people share an equal claim to dignity, whatever their education or manner of work. The mechanic, for example, is entitled to I, every I, inch of respect. I had to, sorry, highlight just the if <laughs> yeah. in that. This is a very laconic, you know, it's the, the famous yes. Spartan response. The mechanic, is, for example, is entitled to every inch of respect the college professor enjoys. This was once a bedrock conviction of American society. Still is, when? I think. I mean, I don't think anyone respects college professors, including so, other college professors. And I, I think we have to, just a little bit deeper, ask what Josh is saying here. Does he mean that as human beings and individuals, they both deserve the same baseline respect? Yes, yes. absolutely. Yeah, we all agree with that. Do their ideas deserve the same level of respect? No, Depends ideas... what they're talking about. If they're talking about how they should repair a tractor, yeah. Right, but I, it's not, I don't think that's what we're talking about. No, but generally, you know what I, mean. I think. Generally, I think ideas, and, and this is, it's a whole, let me get this whole thing out because it's a whole thing here. Ideas should be examined independently of the individual who is proposing them. Mm-hmm. And what I see here, the reason why I bring that up is because I think Josh recognizes that over the past 20, 30 years, the right has captured a subsection of the working class, namely, mostly the white male working class who have jobs like mechanics and things. And Josh thinks that their ideas, which have been shaped and molded by the Republican Party, so really mm-hmm. they're Josh and his ilk's ideas, which isn't to say that people can have independent thought and things, but I'm talking about people who have been captured by this ideology. Josh wants their ideas to be given the same respect as, say, I don't know, name a professor, right? Name someone, Ali Hothschild, the professor whose book we both love, right? He wants the ideas of the mechanic, you know, it Trump talking points, whatever, to be given the same level of respect as someone who has thoroughly researched and thought and discussed these ideas and put them out. And are yeah. is the big issue for Josh are generally leaning towards the left. Yeah, and uh, uh, he wants not to carry the same <laughs> intellectual weight as a, a researched proposition i think yes i, I think <laughs> especially uh, well it, it, it's not even not it's it's like people's by the way you didn't once do ideas as i was doing i that know i know i thought about doing it and then i thought i'd done it too often <laughs> recently so i did i did have the conversation with myself in my mind uh about whether i should or not but now here we are ideas um the so it, it's the thing especially something with the like anti-vaxxing in particular i think mm-hmm. is the yeah. is the notable example of it is you get you know all the science and research saying one thing and then someone with anecdata data or whatever being like no this is not the case and and actually like if you do your own research it's this 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 and this and yeah that's just, a it, better example of what i was trying to say than what i no, actually I know was able mean, to get out so it's, it's it's creating alternate facts and alternate realities for yourself um which is possible now unfortunately uh, and people might be annoyed at me for saying that, but it is it is possible to to create a complete alternate reality based on the facts such as they are that you choose to pay attention to. Yeah, you hear that, listeners? In reality, you can have an alternate reality. So fuck off. Alienating more listeners. Keeping the trend going. He continues. To a remarkable, historically unusual extent, America's cultural institutions, and I bring this up and think about... Maybe go back right now 
to the episode where we covered the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Listen to the whole thing, and then come back and listen to me read this one paragraph. All right, maybe do that. Mm -hmm. America's cultural institutions are now dominated by a small, homogenous class of individuals who graduated from the same coterie of elite schools and share the same Epicurean, mostly atheistic worldview they learned there. In today's America, education is class, and the liberal educated class now runs the giant corporations, staffs the news media, captains the entertainment industry, and of course, steers the major universities. It's ticking every box there. Mm -hmm. It's ticking every protocol box. That's what it's doing. Yes, yeah, it's, it's very much they. <laughs> <laughs> it's great when you can just have a vague they there. So I'm skipping over basically the next two pages here really mm -hmm. quickly. He goes over more of his stuff about how stuff is so much worse these days because of all those atheist leftists who have been in control. Yeah, I, I have just written Reagan, Bush, Clinton, Bush, yeah. Obama, Trump. Like, yes. In you know, terms of people's out. lifetimes, that those have been the presidents that have have been around for yes. most most people's lives. So yeah. it's very much a fifty fifty split. Yep. And and okay, are we honest? Is anyone in good faith going to sit next to Josh and listen to him call Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, and Joe Biden Epicurean atheist leftists? Bizarre. And not slap him and throw him into a crater. Bizarre. Uh, <laughs> But yes, then we get the story you brought up earlier, which is a weird story with it's no so connection weird. to anything about a student from when Josh was teaching. Well, it's, the connection is that men are feeling disconnected from the modern world and thus have problems, including alcohol abuse and drug abuse and other things. Right. Uh, as if alcohol abuse hasn't existed throughout American history. Mm -hmm. And so it's a student. He gives him another fake name. And by the way, I did notice he every time he does this, he does the same lead in, which is I had a student. I'll call him blank. And this time it's I'll call him Tim. So I'll Tim call is him. Who we're doing I with. could only hear the knights who say nee. I shall call him. Yeah. But Tim apparently is a student who was in Josh's class who came to Josh and told him that he was having trouble being sober, having Sad. trouble showing up to class. Sad story. I'll Why is say... it in the book? There's no resolution. He's just nope. like, I'm an alcoholic. And Josh is like, yeah, seems tough. And that's it. It literally, okay, this is the end of the discussion of Tim. This is the last sentence. He just saw hardship and pain and meaningless. The next sentence is, Burke warned that yeah. the French Revolution, what the fuck? It's not Why connected. Why is this in the story? Yeah. I don't, because he needed to pad out some page length. That's it. That brings us to the last subsection of the chapter, which is titled, A Son to Me. And the beginning part here, the first two pages, very boring. It's just more back, arc, going back to the Jerusalem. David and the Ark story, yeah. right? And uh, uh, David tells somebody he wants to build a temple, and a priest says, ah, you don't need to do that. End of story. Okay, ah, move on. <laughs> I don't know why it's in there either. But we get one final Josh personal story, which I always believe are made up. I, I, I can't believe any of this bullshit because it's always too convenient. Uh, where when he well this part of it is true right when he was in his senior year of high school at the private all boys Catholic school he was going to in Kansas City uh, full of elitist suburban kids uh, he uh, his dad got a new job offer to move down to Springfield Missouri which is in the southern part of the state sort of near like Branson uh, in the the is it the heel I forget which part of the state yeah the heel I think is where it is. Um, but so that meant that he had to figure out there how he's going to finish out high school. So he just stayed with some friend of the family, went to school, and then on weekends they'd drive down to Springfield. 
for like a semester cool. or two. Fine. Uh, but the whole point of this story, and you may be saying, there's supposed to be a point here? I guess. But the point is that this made Josh think. Uh, that's all I can extract from it. That's Yeah, the, the, the stories in this chapter are not well connected with the thrust of the chapter. Because what he takes it into after just talking about this is that, you know, he was wondering what he would do with his life, and that meant he would, quote, he said, next, quote, That night I had picked up a collection of essays we had in the house by the church reformer Martin Luther. They were called On the Jews and Their Lies. Wait a no, minute. no. We're not talking about that one Luther wrote? Why does nobody ever talk about that thing that Luther wrote? I do. Every time you put that. <laughs> I think it's important that people it's know about Martin context. Luther's other works. I really do. But no, he read something called The Freedom of a Christian. I've never read it. I don't bother to. I don't think it's likely important to me. But he says about it, the sense of it, the power of it came so suddenly and so str talking about how he felt. He's trying he to, this. okay, what he's trying, he's trying to, to say is, that he had a Blaise Pascal he, fire. He's trying to equate himself with Blaise Pascal. Right. And, and thus say what a great man he is. Josh, how many things have you invented? How many? Well, his son did that car. So. <laughs> his son did the Cybertruck. <laughs> That's it. It's just him being like, I dropped the book on the ground and sat there overwhelmed. Like, like, in my head, this was like the ending of The Usual Suspects. Dude, I've had that experience because I bit too much of the edible. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? You're telling me this is some divine shit? But that Benedict brings us to the final two paragraphs of the chapter, which I shall read as I always do. They are, quote, America needs more men who are like priests. Pedophiles? No! Uh, Moving on. It needs men who will write eternity every place they visit. I'd like to imagine that some huge Holly fan is writing eternity on the side of a Denny's. Just like, it's got to be everywhere. He said put it everywhere, right? It's just all eternity and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Just... <laughs> when somebody's eating their eggs over my hammy, I want her to be sitting there and looking at this eternity I scrawled on here in my chicken scratch. Uh, who will renew the promise of eternity everywhere they go. The men of ancient Greece and Rome may have been onto something with their ritual tending of the family hearth. Sure. He told a story about that earlier, it doesn't matter. They sense that men have an obligation to draw their families towards the sacred, to reach their children, to teach, teach their children what eternity means. America needs men who are priests to their families. This like is always that. such a stretch of like, what does he mean by what the titles are? Like, oh, they need to be like priests because they need to like lead their families in like a flock, and that's what priests do, kind of. Again, it's just all that self-help vague nonsense. Yeah, yeah, There's very nothing, vague. You can draw whatever concrete inferences you want from Precisely. this language. Okay. That's why it's effective. Get Continuing. It. America needs men who will defend our history as a nation, shaped by the Bible and the institutions from the family to the church that preserve our perception of the permanent things. America needs men who will guard the institutions that, as Burke had it, connect the human understanding and affections to the divine, that teach us as a society to look not to the paltry pelf. Pelf? Is that a typo or is that a word that I just... I, I'm unfamiliar I, with. I also don't know that word, but I presume it's a... Maybe it's... Oh, oh God. I really hope... It's a it's Burkean that, word. I really hope that it's... You know how, like, S's never looked like S's back then? I hope that Josh saw this in the original and assumed that it was Pelf because he couldn't understand the S. I really hope that's what it was. 
Uh, to the paltry pelf of the moment, nor the temporary and transient praise of the vulgar, but to a solid, permanent existence in the permanent part of, brackets, our nature, and to a permanent fame and glory. In the end, we need men who know how to worship, how to give their lives to God, and who will, as a consequence, bear his imprint on their characters. We need men who are sons of God. We need men who are priests. End! Of chapter nine of Josh Hawley's manhood. Last chapter uh, next week. Last chapter next time. And it's a long one. It's a oh, 30, time, sorry, 30 yeah. pager. So Benedict, you have no excuse for that episode going long and getting mad at me about That's it. That's true. Yeah, I will uh, I will allow it. But uh, Benedict, the fuck was all that? Yeah, it's again, <laughs> self-help bullshit is the, is the answer. That I think for. that this, yeah, this chapter more than any of the other ones we've done, it is the most self-helpy yeah, out of so. all the ones we've done. But thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, if you just can't get enough of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC and become a patron for as little as one dollar an episode. For patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, early releases of our episodes, and more. As always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons. Hey, Kevin, I became a member to say that you are correct about Brennan Lee Mulligan. <laughs> Brian Smith, Sam Walsh, Dan L., Jamie Fritz, Teach Peace, Dr. Milminian, Len Williams, Swin Wanley, The Ghost of Larry Nichols, Jacob Johnson, Dan Irizarry, Reject Modernity, Embrace Tiny Laptop. <laughs> <laughs> that one's pretty good. New Buildings Are a Globalist Conspiracy, Bobo D. Bear, Chili, Madeline and Zachary Wilson-Fetro, Shadow Princess vs. the Raptor Wolves, Sean Sullivan, Lauren S., New Year, Same Old Sad Bastard, Oh, Benedict, what art thou, Bright Spot? The day's getting longer. Yeah. Sadie's Sister Wednesday, Kieran Dackler. Join us next week when our guest will be America's premier defense attorney, Alina Haba. <laughs> <laughs> Henry Louis King Jr., Sarah Wolf, Aaron Burke, Megan A. Dooley, Clifton Stuckey, Pause, Arrestless Native, A Baby, Wah. Veronica Forker, Melissa C., George Saulnier, Awonkin Lux, No Luxembourg, Luxembourg, Stefan, Nightmare Blunt Rotation. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that one. Utah Outcast, Dave Barwick, Chris Palmer, Bad Bible Stitches, Allison, Megan Ruth, Glowrung the Deceiver, Big Easy Blasphemy, Jay Reynolds, Stephen, and Cindy Dimmick, Taru Takanan, and Balls Watterson. Thank you all, as always, for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, Meddlesome Priest! <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>